All right, you ready? I think so. Well, let's do it. What's up, guys and gals? Welcome to episode 38 of the What Makes Us Human podcast. It's a brand new year, but it's the same old JR and JL. How you doing, JR? Doing all right. How about yourself? All right. Uh, my nieces and nephews call me JL. Okay. Along with my son. All right. Because they started calling me, and now JL has made his debut on the podcast. All right. So they come in the house and I'm like, what's up, JL? You know. <laughs> we had our traditional New Year's feast. We had uh, pork roast and uh, cabbage and black-eyed peas and cornbread. Fried okra and a couple other things. But Carrie almost pulled that off. We went to Randy's. Nice. Uh, I got food poisoning Monday night. Oh, no. Not Monday night for our listeners. For our listeners, it would be nine days before this comes out but uh yeah i lost six pounds in 12 hours and it was um amazing terrifying horrifying death defying it was horrible yeah it's unpleasant i uh i still believe in god i cried out to him to take me home (laughs) as i laid on some friend's bathroom floor and oh, that's right. You were traveling. I was in Raleigh, yeah. So you didn't get the food poisoning from Randy's? No. Okay. But we went to Randy's last night, and it was my first real meal in a week. All right. I've been scared to eat. Yeah. I mean, literally. Uh, I'm sure I haven't seen 194 pounds in a long time. <laughs> and I got down to 194, Jack, and I was not happy to be there. But we had Randy's, and so I had – she had ham – cabbage which i did not even like the side of the cabbage um they were out of black eyed peas so she had baked beans and i had just a small because i'm still kind of scared of food um tray of barbecue and red slaw all right and hush puppies that was my cornbread was the hush puppies very nice so uh yeah celebrated new year's uh got to see the family at christmas uh all the holidays are over we go back to work i go back to work tomorrow i go back tuesday yeah Yeah, so yep back at it man well today we've got a really good weird one yeah what are we talking about we're talking about edgar Allan poe edgar Allan poe now you got a little gift this christmas that deals with poe i did my my wife gifted me an edgar Allan poe pop figurine Nice. He's uh, holding a skull. Funko holding a skull. Yep. Caressing a casket. So it. Yep. Uh, yeah. I've, I mean, I've growing up, Edgar Allan Poe was one of the authors that I read quite frequently. Yeah. So and 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 still do on occasion. Uh, in fact, I think uh, more than once in reading competitions in school, I would read uh, a book. The complete tales and poems of Edgar Allan Poe, and it was like fifteen hundred pages or something yeah. ridiculous, you know. And uh, since it was based on page count, you know, that usually ended up winning me the competition. Oh so. Lord, you won with Poe. Yep. Nice. Were you holding a skull when you received your award? I was not. <laughs> so I remember reading the Fall of the House of Usher in tenth grade. Um, I had just started working for Chick Fil A. Okay. They do not endorse the podcast, but that'd be cool if they wanted to. Uh, but anyway, it was my first job, and I stayed there seven years, so I was pretty happy there. Um, but I got home late from work, took a shower so I wouldn't smell like chicken, and finally got into my uh, literature class mess homework at like 11 at night, and I had to read The Fall of the House of Usher. And there's one light on in the house. Mom and Dad are fast asleep. I went and turned more lights on. <laughs> that freaked me out. I was yeah. like, dang, this is creepy. Yeah. This dude can't write. Yeah. And I remember, I mean, I don't remember anything else literarily <laughs> from my literature class uh, in 10th grade, but I'm sitting here years later talking about that memory. So that tells me this dude could write. Absolutely. Yeah, a number of, at least twice that I can remember, 6th grade and... Once in high school, we had literature teachers who took us to see plays based around some of his works. Yeah. Now, I I learned something this week. If you don't read Poe the right way, it sounds like some weird, scary Dr. Seuss. Yeah, you did tell me you heard a reading of The Raven, and it sounded like Dr. Seuss. Yeah, I'm like, quit saying the same word over and over it's like the guy could have enunciated it different, but yeah. I thought that was so because I thought it would be freaky, and instead yeah. it was terribly annoying. It was like uh, 
ASMR does Poe. It annoyed the heck out of me. I've, I've heard readings of the Raven that actually were kind of creepy. So, yeah, okay. that probably just wasn't a great example. Now, Mike Rowe on the Micro Works podcast, he had... No, that's not right. The name of the podcast is The Way I Heard It with Mike Rowe. Yeah, okay. Kind of, it's his take on uh, the rest of the story. Yes. Yeah, okay. In fact... Uh, Paul Harvey's son contacted Mike Rowe and um, thanked him for carrying on the torch. Oh, wow. That crap makes it official, Jack. You know what I mean? I'd have had tears in my eyes because I love Paul Harvey. Oh, yeah. And I think Mike pretty much did, too. Yeah, 12, but, uh, 12, 12 o'clock on WFMX. Yes, and that's this long pause. The rest of the story. <laughs> right. Um, but why did I bring that up? Oh, so on Mike Rose podcast, the way I heard it, he had this fella who goes around Baltimore, and this guy does this for a living. He's memorized all the works of Poe. Okay. And he goes around and does readings at parties, and Halloween is, of course, his big time. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm sure he car- I'm not sure if he carries a skull or not, but it would help. Um, and and I mean, he's dramatic, and he did not sound like Green Eggs and Ham when he read it. It was awesome. Yeah. Very nice. So uh, imagine go, you know, telling your parents, all right, I'm putting school on hold. I've bought an old-timey suit. I'm growing a mustache. And I'm going to start memorizing all the works of Edgar Allan Poe and reading them to people, you know, saying them to people. Your mom and dad would not be thrilled. But this guy's made that work. So I can't remember his name, but it was really cool. That's a lot like uh, it's a lot like Edgar Allan Poe. I mean, it he is. Was, yes. He was he was one of the uh, first to to in America to try to make a living just on writing. Yeah. Um, and maybe it didn't work out so well for him. But. Right. It worked out posthumously. Yeah. yeah. Hopefully, it works out better for this individual. So with this, we'll get into this here. I've never considered that in 1799, you're only 10 years out from Edgar Allan Poe. Yeah. That's weird. I like to look at the room from a different angle historically sometimes, and um, that's really weird that he's that far back. I think we, at least I think of Poe, and this is weird because he's an American author, but I still think of Poe in a Victorian era. Yes. And I don't think of 1799 as a Victorian, you know. Right. So he's born in 1809, but I was just saying that yeah. it's weird that in 1799, you're only one decade out from Edgar Allan Poe. And I, for a long time, well, it was in 10th grade that I figured out that he was not a Brit. Yeah. Okay. I was like, Baltimore? Yeah, yeah, I, that shocked me. I had because I can because of the uh, you really hit a nerve here because of the I don't, I don't want to say association in, association not infatuation but because of the association with death and the macabre and in tenth grade I would have said macabre probably but uh, because of the association with the macabre and death and all that and shadows of the night um, I considered him Victorian, you know. Yeah. So when Queen Victoria was unable to get over the death of her husband and wore the black the rest of her life, she really set a stage. Oh, yeah. Big time. We're going to have to do a podcast on her. Well, and the funny, the other funny thing about that is, is I think most, most people date the Victorian era around like 1837, sometimes late 1830s mm-hmm. as a start. And Poe didn't get to live in a lot of the Victorian era. I mean, oh, that's true. But yeah. we still associate it with... Because he died in 49. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Right. So huh. he had roughly 10 years, 10, 12 years. Oh, he'd have been so that. good if he'd have gone the length, the distance, but he didn't. Yeah. Still excellent, but yeah. yeah. We can we can get into... Uh, this is going to be weird. More, probably more, much more popular post- posthumous. Yeah. It's hard to say. I'm trying to add syllables to the end of it, and that's making it harder. Posthumously? Yeah, but I was trying to add another syllable. syllable. I don't know. Anyway. Syllaber. Let's move on. <laughs> 1809. January 19th? Uh, yes, that is correct. Okay. Poe comes screaming, soaking wet, and pissed off into this dark, shadowy world. 
not holding a skull because he was emerging from his mother's womb. <laughs> Sentence of the day. His parents were the Pose, but I <laughs> but I cannot remember his parents' name. And the reason is his dad left the family when he was like one. Yeah, his dad left, abandoned the family in eighteen ten. And his mother got diagnosed with what was called the wasting disease, tuberculosis. Tuberculosis. And she died when he was like two and a half. Yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah, his mom was Elizabeth Arnold Hopkins Poe. She was English born. There we go. And uh, she was an actress. And his father was an actor, David Poe Jr. His uh, his paternal grand- grandparents had immigrated from County Cavan, Ireland, um, around 1750. So his father was an Irish immigrant to America and... Uh, his mom's family was English. Or okay. English immigrants, I suppose. So he's really white. Yes. <laughs> like a lot of us, he is very pale. Yeah, okay. All right. So by age two and a half or so, he is an orphan. And he's got a couple of siblings, and they all sadly end up going separate ways. Yep. Now, a gentleman by the name of John Allen. That is correct. And his wife's name was Francis Allen. Is that right? Uh, I believe that's correct. Yep. Uh, probably with an E. Francis with an E. Yeah, with an E is the female spelling. And I, I is the male It's Francis of Assisi. Yeah. So uh, Francis and John Allen, or as they would say back then, John and Francis Allen, adopt, but not legally. They never officially adopt him, but yes, they take him into their home. And I think it's a stormy relationship. It is. He grows up in their home. They have him baptized into the Episcopal Church in 1812. And uh, the relationship between him and, we'll just refer to him as his stepfather because it's easier, the relationship between Poe and John Allen, uh, it's kind of referred to as sometimes John Allen would spoil him and sometimes he would aggressively discipline him. Oh, he couldn't pick a lane. And there was no... That's yeah, it not was just good. the back and forth. Not good. So if you're a parent and you can't pick a lane, it's not going to bode well. You got to pick a lane and you got to hang with it. Yep. Yeah. So they argued a lot. Once he went to school, they argued over money. Poe claimed his, his stepfather didn't give him enough money to actually pay for the school that you know he was sent to. Um they argued over Poe's gambling debts because by this stage he was already racking up gambling debts. That's not good. They also argued about his stepfather's um, relationships outside of his marriage and the illegitimate children yeah. that he had. So, yeah. It was, uh, it was a pretty rocky relationship. So, and even so far as when his stepmother died, uh, Poe felt like he didn't get any sympathy for mourning the loss of his stepmother from his stepfather. So Wow. Yeah. It was it was not great. Would you say Poe had a sad life? I think Poe had a sad life. Some of it was some of it was self inflicted, probably. He had trouble with alcohol. He had trouble with gambling. But he also you know, he had there was a lot of death he dealt with. Yeah. From losing his mom when he's two years old to the loss of his stepmother to, to the loss of other relationships, and we can get into that. But I wonder if his mother was kind of because it's a rare thing for a person to remember something from when they were two. Yeah. So at the most, he would just, there'd be a shadow there, which would kind of explain a lot about Poe, to be honest with you. But I wonder if his mother was kind of... Uh, Almost mythical in his eyes. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm sure she held a high place that he could never touch or reach or send to. It's like the more I talk about it, the more it's revealing. It's it's like I'm just stumbling over stuff that's revealing about the man himself. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. He's reaching out for her, but he can never, never quite grasp his mother, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I can definitely see that. Um, I'm not good at transitions, but 
February of 1826. So we'll just jump right over to it. Let's do it. So, all right. So he February is, of 1826, uh, he registers at the University of Virginia. 17 years old. This is a university in, in its infancy, established on the ideals of its founder, Thomas Jefferson. UVA? Yes. Okay. Uh, the school has strict rules against gambling, horses, guns, tobacco, and alcohol, but these rules were mostly ignored. <laughs> uh, Jefferson had enacted a system of student self-government, allowing students to choose their own studies, make their own arrangements for boarding, and report all wrongdoing to the faculty. As you might can imagine, uh, especially early on, this uh, unique system was chaos. There was a very high dropout rate early on at UVA. I would not have wanted to be a part of that. <laughs> this is, this is again, when, when Poe and his uh, estranged um, foster father um, really kind of separate uh, over money, really, over post-gambling debts and the cost of school and, Button and heads. all of that. Yep. You know, today you still, I'll hear some people talk, I gotta be careful what I say on podcasts, but in life I'll hear people talk and you know, it's like, where's your child working? McDonald's. Oh, okay, but we're expecting them to pay their way through Harvard and Yale. You know what I mean? Some parents I feel like expect their kid to to go completely on their own and they're making like seven dollars and ninety cents an hour. You know, you kinda have to find a lane where your your child is able. I'm not the perfect parent, God knows. But you know, one of the things that we talked about in our family is, especially me and my wife, is that you kind of have to find the place where you you give your your kid, you give your child a a really good buddy of mine. I haven't seen him, Gary, in a while. But my friend Gary Holland used to say, "You give your child a failure rich environment, but you be there for them if they fail." Okay. And dang, that's good. You know what I'm saying? Um, so you, you got to give your child room to fail, but you also have to be there. But the, what I'm getting at is you can't just tell Edgar Allan Poe, hey, man, you're paying your way to college. Have at it. I know you don't have a job, but you're going to pay your way through school. You kind of have to have a, a medium road there as you as you nudge the bird out of the nest. You know what I'm saying? Sure. Um, and I think I think Poe just I think he got the short end of the stick on that, but I'm not sure that he had the wherewithal to properly deal with it either because of how he was raised. That's that's certainly possible. Um, his gambling debts didn't help things either. Right and right 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 yeah. Uh, so and there's his failure. That that's his own. Yeah. So there. you know, at one point, Alan did send additional money and clothes, but his debt, his gambling debt, had increased so much. Yeah. That, uh, that after uh, after a year at the university, he did not. He said he did not feel welcome returning. So uh, he traveled to Boston in April of 1827, and uh, kind of picked up some odd jobs, uh, clerk and newspaper writer. But he couldn't support himself. So in May 27th, 1827, he enlisted in the U.S. Army. There you go. He used the name Edgar A. Perry and claimed that he was 22 years old even though he was 18. I wonder why. I'm not sure. I never really saw... What's the benefit there? I'm not sure. Unless it was just trying to further obfuscate his identity. Oh, okay. Changed his name slightly. Changed his age. Hmm. Hmm. So, trying to be somebody different. This dude's deep. He uh, he first was at Fort Independence in Boston Harbor, um, and uh, that's where he released his first book. It was a forty-page collection of poetry titled "Tamerlan and Other Poems." Yep. But uh, the author was listed as by a Bostonian, <laughs> so he did not put his name. Uh, only 50 copies were printed, and the book received virtually no attention. Uh, he was then moved to Fort, Fort Moultrie in Charleston, South Carolina. Love the place. You and I have both been. Yeah, beautiful place. He served for two years. He attained the rank of Sergeant Major for Artillery, which is the highest rank a non-commissioned officer could achieve. Uh, but then he wanted out. So uh, he was enlisted for five years, but he wanted out. So he reveals his real name and his circumstances. And his commanding officer tells him that he would be allowed to be discharged if he reconciles with his stepfather, or a foster father. 
I did not come across that. Wow. Okay. Yep. Uh, he So he wrote a letter to his foster father, Alan. Uh, but Alan was unsympathetic, and he ignored him for months. Oh. So he's languishing in the military now. Yeah. And uh, so much so that Alan may not have even written Poe to make him aware of his foster mother's illness. Oof. Uh, Which was the same illness of his birth mother, I, I think. I believe so. Yeah. And uh, Francis Allen died on February 28th, 1829, and Poe visited the day after her burial. Oh, mm. at 20 years old. At this point, um, Allen agreed to support Poe's attempt to be discharged. Kind of, I don't know if it was with the agreement or how this came about, but he agreed to help him get discharged in order to receive an appointment to West Point. This is weird. I don't know. But... He was uh, he was finally discharged on April fifteenth, eighteen twenty nine. Before entering West Point, he moved back to Baltimore to stay with his widowed aunt Maria Clem, her daughter Virginia Eliza Clem, his brother Henry. So he did meet back yep. up with his brother. Yep. And his invalid grandmother Elizabeth Carnes Poe. So you ever have you ever met a gentleman and he starts talking, and you're like, this guy's definitely single. Because of some of the decisions the guy's made, and he's kind of all over the place, and you later find out the guy is single, and he's kind of weird. Oh, I, I can name you at least one person like that right off the top of my okay. head. Okay, well, yes. I think I think that his stepdad, adopted dad, whatever, John Allen was kind of like that. I think he was just a little off. You know uh, what I, I mean? thought you were going to say Poe with the decisions Poe made. Well, I think well, and I, I think that Poe, I think he picked up on some of that too. I think he was a little bit. So I think you have these two guys that are just kind of all over the place, and that could both use some counseling. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, uh, yeah. And they're just they're just flitting through life, and they're not doing it well together. You know? Yep. Yeah. So after Poe starts at West Point as a cadet on July 1st, 1830, mm-hmm. uh, his foster father married his second wife, Louisa Patterson. Uh, this marriage and the quarrels that that Poe had about Alan's illegitimate children right. finally caused Alan to disown Poe. Yeah. And he decided to leave West Point by purposefully getting court-martialed. Mm. April or excuse me, February eighth, eighteen thirty-one. He was tried for gross neglect of duty and disobedience of orders for refusing to attend formations, classes, or church. So he basically just stayed in bed. He pleaded not he pleaded pleaded not guilty to induce dismissal, knowing that he would be found guilty at trial. Wow! Did he have to serve any time for that? He did not. He was just dismissed from. They said, just get out of here? Yeah. Wow. From West Point? Yep. Wow. They know Custer went to West Point. I mean, a lot of people went to West Point. Yeah, but Custer was last in class. <laughs> Another not so I, good West I think, Pointer. I think I did hear that. Yeah, yeah. Um, as he was getting out of West Point, he uh, released a third volume of poems. This one's simply titled Poems. Um, his fellow cadets helped him publish it. Well, you know, hold up. Do you get the hint? The, the there's a little bit of a pun there. Poe, um, like his whole name is three fourths a poem. You know what I mean? Okay, but a bump. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was uh, thought that they may have donated money to help him fund this because of some of the satirical verses that he wrote about the commanding officers. Uh, It was uh, published by Elam Bliss of New York and included a page saying, quote, to the U.S. Corps of Cadets, this volume is respectfully dedicated. Uh, Again, had a reprinting of Tamerlan and Alaraf, but also six previously unpoemed, unpublished poems. I can't talk tonight. Unpublished poems. So he then moves back to Baltimore uh, with his aunt, brother, and cousin in March of 1831. Uh, his uh, his older brother Henry had been ill, in part due to his own alcoholism, and he died on August first, eighteen thirty one. 
Wow. There's a lot of death surrounding. Wow. That's so sad. Before we get too far past this, because I meant to bring it up when we were talking about Poe in Charleston. You and I were talking before this recording. There's a story, and it is just that, as far as I can tell. It's a story. I, I haven't found any confirmation. But there's a story that's told in the Charleston area around Poe's time there. And it has to do with one of the you know, innumerable graveyards in Charleston. Yeah, lots of... Lots of churches, lots of graveyards. Yeah. Well, and cemeteries. Yeah. There's a difference. Yeah. Cemeteries at a church and a graveyard's not? Or is it... Graveyards at a church with cemeteries. Oh, I got that backwards crap. Okay. I believe that's correct. Okay. I, I could have it backwards, but... While he was, supposedly, while he was stationed at Fort Moultrie, which is an island off of Charleston, he had a relationship with the daughter of a wealthy merchant in Charleston. And the father did not like Poe, did not think his his daughter should be, you know, hanging out with this guy, and basically forbade them to have a relationship. Uh, this girl ends up getting sick and dying. Not a lot of detail on you know, what she got sick and died of. But she gets sick and dies, is how the story goes. And the father has her buried in kind of a strange cemetery. It's a cemetery in Charleston. It doesn't really have like much in the way of gravestones. It's mostly just like a big garden that's kind right. of allowed to overgrow on purpose. Creepy. Because of the beliefs of the church it's based in. But anyway, buried in an unmarked grave. So Poe would have nowhere to go to mourn the death of his love. So there's a theme of the denial of a the denial of a of a good hearty relationship. Hearty is the wrong word. Hearty makes it sound like I'm talking about baked beans, but but there's there's this theme in his life of the denial of a good working relationship with a man or a woman, you know? Yeah. Even the ability to say goodbye. Um you can get to say goodbye to his foster mother. Right. Yeah. And the rest of that story goes that this is what Annabelle Lee is based yes. on. Yes. Yeah. So another famous poem by Edgar Allan Poe. Uh. It says a lot for the writing. It, man, it just really, it really, uh, wow. It really says, a, to me, it says a lot about the, his writing. Yeah. After his brother's death, Poe began more earnest, I guess, attempts at uh, having a career as a writer. Yeah. But this was difficult. He's one of the first Americans to try to live by writing alone. And he's hampered by something we talked about in the Dickens episode. A lack of international copyright law. Yeah. So, if publishers are... And particularly overseas are picking up his works and publishing them, he may never get paid a set for it, same as you know Charles Dickens ran into. Um, but also, there wasn't a good way to make a living at this. There was a boom in new periodicals around this time. Yeah. And it led to what's called the Panic of 1837. So a lot of new periodicals, you know, fueled... Along a lot of ways, by new technology, but all these didn't last more than a few issues. So the publishers would often refuse to pay their writers, or pay them much later than they promised, pay them less than they promised, or the periodical may go out of business before you get paid. That's not good. So all of this made it very difficult for Poe to try to make a living. Do you think his uh, also that his writing was so? Uh, he's kind of before his time. Uh, that's that is probably a safe assessment. Although a number of his writings became, you know, popular. And I mean, you think about the Raven. The Raven was a pretty good success for the time, right? But even that, 
he was paid nine dollars for the publication of the Raven. Ooh. So that was uh, 1845. So that's jumping ahead a little bit, but still, it's an example of even one that was really well received and really popular. He just he can't scale the business. He can't scale it up. Yep. Yeah. Steve, it's not Stephen King time yet. Yeah. No. I mean, no one was. I mean, no one was really trying to live by just writing. So. And if you already are struggling. With alcoholism and gambling debts and things. Yeah, at an early age. Adding all this to it. Not good. Yeah. Poe returns to Baltimore. He gets a license to marry his cousin, Virginia, on September 22nd, 1835. All right, so at this point, he is 26. It is unknown if they were married at this time or later, but yes, he was 26 and she was 13. Weird. And it's his cousin. Weirder. So this is this is where we get into the red zone with weird. That she's thirteen. That's yeah. Weird. Yeah. He uh he got a position as assistant editor and then later editor of the Southern Literary Messenger in Richmond. And uh, he remained there until January eighteen thirty seven. During this time, Poe claimed that he increased the circulation from 700 to 3,500. So pretty significant. Significant. Boost. Um, And he published a number of his poems and book reviews, critiques, and and short stories in the paper. But his wife is so young that if the top scoop of her ice cream fell off, she might burst into tears. (laughs) You know? That's so strange to me. Officially, in 1836, May 16th, 1836, he and Virginia had a wedding ceremony and a witness falsely attested that she was 21. Oh, okay. All right. She had one of those years where she was like seven years all in one year. So they were officially married when she was 14. They might have been married when she was 13. Oh, okay. All right. Not that that maybe makes it any different. No, it does not <laughs> at all. My daughter's 20, and I'm still getting used to, yeah. But 14, oh, my gosh. I know times were different, but Lord help us. In 1838, he released the novel The Narrative of Arthur Gordon Pym of Nantucket. And it was uh, it was published, it was pretty widely reviewed. This is the one. Can I talk about it now? Yeah, it's as good as time as any. Okay, nice use of the word time. So this is his only novel. And he records in this book a situation where some men end up having to uh, ditch their ship and hop in a boat i guess that's the right use of those words a boat a ship has a boat on it but a boat is just a boat so they ditch this big ship and they all climb in this itty bitty boat to survive um, and they end up lost at sea and there's a young boy on the little boat the little dinghy boat and they end up like he was their helper what do you call him He's like the understudy. That's not the right word either. He's the youngest person on the ship, and he's learning how to become a sailor, basically. Okay. And he has all the rough jobs, you know. Um, and so they all end up in this little boat, and this boy's name is Richard Parker. He's 17 years old in the uh, in the novel. And they draw straws after like three weeks at sea. They're drinking rainwater. They're drinking their own urine. Um, the men have families back home, and little Richard Parker... He's just a teenager with no responsibilities, no family, hardly, blah, blah, blah. Um, Richard Parker ends up drinking seawater because he's so thirsty and he's out of urine. <laughs> and uh, he, he takes very ill and he can hardly move and they finally decide it's got to be done and they cannibalize Richard Parker and survive off of him. Well, that's the novel. That's the novel. Well, what's really weird is years later, 46 years later, in 1884, um, 
four men end up set adrift in a sinking yacht, shipwrecked and minus any food, they end up having to go the survival cannibal route and they end up drawing straws and the youngest of their crew ends up drawing the shortest straw and they take a pin and shove it in his jugular to kill him and they drink the blood right there on the spot they consume his liver and his heart right there on the spot um, and they eat the meat from the body over the next few days until it goes rotten and throw the rest of the young boy overboard and his name is Richard Parker so weird yeah so there is a group of people um, there are some other things we don't have to get into them but there there are several other things one of them is Poe's knowledge of the frontal lobe um, and of the brain uh, being tinkered with to change one's behavior and Poe died before that knowledge is discovered by mankind. And I forget the work it's in, but I read an article by a neurologist or a brain surgeon or something, and he was saying that there's 12 symptoms that come with uh, messing with the frontal lobe, and Poe knew every one of them. And he said it was almost like Poe had a time machine because there's no way he could have known all that, but he knew every single thing there is to know about messing with the frontal lobe and what it does to a person's behavior. So there's a group of people out there who evidently kind of hold to this thing that Poe was a time traveler. Interesting. It is very interesting. How the heck, I mean, do I believe that? No. But um, the Richard Parker thing is just weird. Um, and throughout history, somebody's going to pull off a Simpsons Yeah, there's and, weird. and have Donald Trump coming down the, the stairwell, you know, eight or nine years before it happens. You know, in cartoon fashion. Um, but the thing about the frontal, the temporal lobe or whatever, the brain is weird. The frontal lobe, I guess, is weird. Um, and there are other things. There's a quote, a long quote that, that Poe has in a letter that he wrote to a friend of his um, where he talks about um, how he has, he has now seen that humankind will never get any further than it has now gotten um, and that there's we've reached our pinnacle. It's all downhill from here. And he's, he's now totally associated with the future. He has no hope for the present, all these things. Um, it's just weird. So strange. Um, how that has developed about him. Um, and we'll get into his death a little bit later, but, uh, there are so many strange things that, that go around that. And so his first novel and this Richard, what was his name? Richard Parker. Yes. Um, that is just really, really strange. Yep. Yeah. In, uh, in 1842, January 1842, his wife, Virginia, began to show signs of consumption, what's now called tuberculosis. Man, this is so sad. She only partially recovered and... Poe began to drink a lot more than he already was yeah. with trying to deal with the stress of all of this. He returns to New York where he worked briefly for the publication The Evening Mirror and then became the owner. That's a good name. Oh, excuse me. Before becoming the editor of the Broadway Journal and later its owner. But there he kind of alienated himself from the rest of the writing community. At one point, even uh, publicly accusing Henry Wadsworth Longfellow of plagiarism. Ooh. Mm. Though uh, Longfellow never responded. Ooh. January 29th, 1845, his poem The Raven appeared in the Evening Mirror, and it pretty much made Poe a household name, you know, overnight. He finally hit it. Though, as you know, we said, he was only paid nine bucks for his publication. Yeah. So that's even worse if everybody knows your name. You finally hit it, but you, you don't get paid for it. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Virginia died on January 30th, on January 30th, 1847. A lot of critics think his frequent theme of the death of a beautiful woman stems from the repeated loss of women through his life. Yeah. You know, including his wife. Yeah. 
he uh after his wife's death he he's just more he's just becoming more and more unstable he attempted to court poet Sarah Helen Whitman but their engagement failed reportedly because of Poe's drinking and erratic behavior those two a lot of times go hand in hand <laughs> he then returned to to Richmond and re- resumed a relationship with uh Sarah Elmira Royster who had been his childhood sweetheart mm. and this is where the story ends rather strangely and abruptly yeah October 3rd, 1849, Edgar Allan Poe, remember, he had been in Richmond. He is found delirious on the streets of Baltimore. Quote, in great distress and in need of immediate assistance, according to one Joseph W. Walker, who found him. He's basically in the gutter. Yep, he was taken to Washington Medical College. Where he died, Sunday, October 7th, 1849, at 5 in the morning. He was never, from the time he was found, he was never coherent long enough to explain how he came to be in this condition. And he was wearing clothes that were not his own. Now, this Poe time traveler crowd are all like, hmm. But, I mean... uh, I, I don't, of course, I don't follow that, but that's another thing where they're kind of like hinting at something there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he's said to have repeatedly called out the name Reynolds on the night before his death, but yep. no one knows who he was referring to. And uh, some some sources say that his final words were, Lord, help my poor soul. Oh. Oh, my gosh. That's so sad. Now, I, cl- I cried that out numerous times Monday night. <laughs> On the bathroom floor at my friend's house. Lord, help my poor soul. Yes. Lord, gosh. Uh, But all medical records are lost, um, including his death certificate. So we have no idea. What happened? What happened? I bet it involved a woman. Newspapers at the time. Because of his past, you know. Newspapers at the time suggested uh, a sort of cerebral inflammation, um, which was a common term for death from things like alcoholism it was yeah. it was kind of a nice way of saying he drank himself to, to death. death yeah but we don't know what the actual cause of death is um, so how far is it from richmond to baltimore we're getting on google maps i presume as i speak to see the distance uh from richmond virginia to baltimore maryland 154 miles that's a long way back then Huh. Some speculation around his cause of death include delirium tremens. Yeah. Uh, heart disease, epilepsy, syphilis, meningital inflammation. Ooh, gosh. Carbon man. monoxide. And yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, I saw or that. rabies. Yeah. But how would he... Now, this is a dumb question. How do you get carbon monoxide poisoned in 1849? Start a fire inside? I mean, how do you... I mean, people heat it inside with fire, so I would well, Without proper... With the flu shut, if, I guess? Yeah, if there was a ventilation problem or something and you didn't know it. Yeah, okay. I, mean, I would think carbon monoxide poison was probably a fairly common problem. Okay. With so many people burning things inside. All right. I just never thought about... I always associate that with, like, a car's tailpipe, you know what I mean? So. One theory that dates all the way back to 1872 suggests that uh, cooping was the cause of Poe's death. Cooping is a form of voting fraud. Yep. Where they would uh, basically find somebody who was maybe already drunk or get them drunk and keep them drunk, send them to vote multiple times for a candidate, usually like swapping out their clothing between. So, you know, they try to fool the people at the polls. That's what explained the different clothing. That's and in... that, that's an attempt to explain that, yes. And cooping sometimes led to violence against the person and sometimes even murder. So so he could have been conked in the head with something. It's possible. Yeah. But nobody said they saw a... There's no record of a brain or shoot, of head trauma. No, but we have no medical records that are lost. Right, okay, so all right. There's nothing referenced in the newspapers at the time. And that would also explain him being back home in Baltimore to vote. Right. I suppose that's a different state from where he was living. But it's where he, well, it's where he was born. 
Yeah. Okay, and that's not that's based on where you're living, not where you're born. Yeah. Right? Okay. So, so we don't know what happened to him. No, we don't know what happened to him. Now, I spoke earlier to you and asked you if you'd heard of the Poe Toaster. I had not. So the Poe Toaster is not a toaster for your kitchen that produces a piece of bread with Poe's face on it. However, I have seen a uh, Bob Ross toaster that puts Bob Ross's face. I bet someone makes an Edgar Allan Poe toaster. I bet they do too. But uh, where you can put Edgar Allan Poe on a piece of bread. And then put Marmite all over his face and watch him squirm. But the Poe Toaster was an individual that evidently, now this is hard to believe, but somebody or somebodies from 1939 until 2008, 2009, so for 70 years, somebody dressed all in black could be seen in the early morning hours of January, what did we say? October. It's October, whatever, the day he died. Oh, I'm sorry. I, didn't, I wasn't yeah. sure which date you were looking At for. At first, I was going with his birthday. October 3rd. So, But this person could be seen for over 70 years on October 3rd in the wee hours of the morning, placing, dressed all in black, placing three roses on the grave of Edgar Allan Poe and a bottle of cognac. And he would pour a glass, drink to Poe, and then leave the bottle and disappear into the wee early hours of the morning. And this happened for seven freaking years. Seventy. What'd I say? Seven. Seventy freaking years. Seventy. I'm tired. It's been a long day. But yeah, uh, and in 2010 and 11, there were some fake, some faux Poe faux poe toasters and we know that because there were like four of them that all bumped into each other evidently there at the grave but uh the the real one had disappeared and to this day we're not sure who he or she was yep and i did see a reference that uh, after you told me about this that a new person had started it up in i think 2016 oh okay but uh how long is this going to go? Apologies for the distraction. I was looking to see if you could actually buy a toaster that would put Edgar Allan Poe's face on a piece of bread. I did not find one. All I found was articles about the Poe toaster. Okay. All right. So that's Edgar Allan Poe. That's Edgar Allan Poe. Very interesting, sad. His influence Life. on American literature. Huge. Who are some of the obvious people, that authors, that you think, okay, well, Edgar Allan Poe had to have some influence on Oh, um, wow. Sherlock Holmes author. I, I did see that. Yeah. Conan Doyle. Yeah. Yeah, Arthur Conan Doyle. There, there is an argument to be made. Because Poe kind of, cre- they, they say he created the, the mystery story. Yeah. There, yeah, there's an argument to be made that he kind of created the detective novel without actually making a detective novel. Yeah. 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 Uh, Lovecraft comes to mind. H.P. Lovecraft. Yeah, H.P. Lovecraft. Yeah. Uh, more recent ones, I would certainly think someone like Stephen King was influenced by. Big time. But long-running impact on American literature. You know, there are whole genres that didn't exist that are now popular. Because? Because of him. Because he essentially created them. Yeah, he kind of created the, the aura the aura, the the ether in the air, the uh, so many just this angst, weird. Um, like if you, I listened to the the cask of Amontillado this evening, and there's something hanging in the air the entire time as these guys are walking further and further down. You know what I mean? And he set this trap for this guy. Yep. And he keeps giving the guy a way out. Well, your cough, you, we got to turn around. Your cough is so bad. And the guy, you know, the guy, can, oh, it's nothing. Come on, let's go. You know, um, it's just, there's something hanging in there. There's this tension, this back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And the whole time he knows he's going to wall him up. I mean, it, just the, yeah, he's he's really good. Yeah, it, it's, it's an interesting back and forth with evil in his writings. Yeah. It's not just 
pure horror or pure evil or it's not gratuitous. Yeah. And you know, sometimes especially in more recent stuff you get into some of that. Um uh, but his is more you know, there's usually some kind of struggle mentally, emotionally or physically of kind of a struggle with, with evil yeah. in his stories. So like when the policemen show up in the Telltale Heart. Yeah. Yeah. There's that. Well, and even prior to even prior to them showing up, hit the whole thing where, you know, night after night he goes in and cracks the door yeah. and cracks the lamp just enough to put light on the that eye. evil eye. What he what he what this person was convinced was an evil eye that haunted him. You yeah. know, night after night he does, you know, while he's battling back and forth with this and you know, mentally. So And he's battling back and forth, but he's still willingly moving ever so slowly. So that over the course, he says like over the course of an hour, I've moved the door a thousandth of an inch or whatever, you know, he's still willingly going. It's so slow. You'd almost have to set you stop motion footage to catch it, but he's still moving forward with his evil deed, you know? Yeah. Yeah, It's, it's maybe cliche, but so many of his stories would seem, you could, you could say, oh, well those point to Poe's own battles with his own demons, you know? Oh, easy. So. Yeah. Easy. Whether it's drinking or gambling or uh, John Allen never hugged me. Or just, yeah, just just the the gradual mental descent. Yeah. Or moral descent or, you know, whatever, you know, whatever he had going on in his mind. Yeah. Is bleeding out on paper. Yeah. So. Yeah. So good. Absolutely. Tragic. So hug your kids. <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious, man. Hug your kids. Hug your parents. Everybody needs a hug. It's 2022. We're tired of 15 days to slow the spread. Maybe don't uh, let your kids marry their cousin who's twice their age. Right. Don't, don't do let that. them marry their cousin at all. Yeah. That's right. All right, folks. Sage advice from JR. <laughs> Or you end up with a Habsburg jaw. Ugh. Yeah. All right, folks. Well, that was Edgar Allan Poe. That was Edgar Allan Poe. We even talked about time travel. <laughs> we did. I did not expect that one to come into this. Nice. So that was one I had not come across. Nice. All right, folks. Well, you can uh, find us on social media at WMUH Podcast, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. You can email us, WMUHpodcast at gmail.com. Anything else, John? I believe that is from the Rooter to the Tudor with Poe. I think that was good. All right, folks. Well, if you uh, have someone in your life who loves Edgar Allan Poe, and I'm sure you do because we all know at least one person who does, share this episode with them. Yes. Halloween is usually that person's favorite holiday. (laughs) All right, folks. We'll see you next week. Later.